Hi, this is Wendy Whalen. Thank you for joining us on New Combinations. I'm super excited to be with you both, Silas Farley and David K. Israel, who are collaborating on this new piece for the New York City Ballet for our Stravinsky Festival. This was a seed that sprung into my life a few years ago through, through David. And I wanted to find out a little bit about this music and this, we'll get to the collaboration in a moment, but the music, how did that start? You're composing a piece mm -hmm. built around, tell me about it. Yeah, well, it's based on this uh, gift exchange that Mr. Balanchine originally gave to Stravinsky for his 64th birthday. Um, they were both living in Los Angeles. Um, Balanchine was out there, uh, this is 1946. Uh, Balanchine's out there in Beverly Hills doing some movie stuff. Uh, Stravinsky's recently moved uh, as well, and he's working on some film stuff and various other things, and they're actually getting together quite often in those days, uh, working out the scenario and the story for Orpheus. Um, so there's a lot going on. They're great friends, as, as we all know. And it's, um, it's Stravinsky's 64th birthday, and Mr. Balanchine composes an acrostic poem where each line, four lines, starts with another uh, letter of Igor's name, so I-G-O-R, in Russian. And he sings it and plays it for Stravinsky, and Stravinsky loves it, and he says, you should harmonize this in five parts. And Mr. Balanchine says, I'm not the real composer in the room. So Stravinsky sits down at the piano, and he harmonizes it, and he writes it down, and there's a copy of the manuscript, and um, I find out about this and discover it at the Harvard Theater Collection in Boston in the 1990s and saw it, and I just was like, wow, this has to be something. Like, this just cannot sit in the archives. People have to know about it. And Mr. Balanchine was a songwriter. He used to write um, the annual song for Jacques Dembois' National Dance Institute. Did I get it right? You got it. Um, fundraisers. And he, you know, he, he used to say, I write music the way other people cook for fun. So he didn't think of himself as a serious composer, but like he wrote a lot of songs. And through Barbara Horgan and Karin, I found this manuscript and just started writing little sketches. I thought like Mr. Balanchine and Stravinsky's music could be the theme. And then I would write, you know, five or six or seven variations on that theme. And somebody at New York City Ballet would choreograph it. <gasps> and Wendy Whalen heard some of these yeah, sketches. Yeah, like a, I, I got this position. And like one of the first emails I got was from Zipporah Cars, who was mm -hmm. my former colleague. And we were in school together. And she teaches now for you, Silas, in mm -hmm. L.A. And she said, there's this guy, <laughs> and he did this thing, and you should hear it. And so I was, like, intrigued by it. And I did know that coming into this position that I was like, well, the 50th anniversary of the Stravinsky Festival is coming up. That would be something I would want to do to celebrate that. And then I, I brought it to John Stafford, and the idea of it intrigued us to, be, to make it a part of the Stravinsky Festival. And the person we thought of... <laughs> was Mr. Silas Farley, who was at that point, you know, one of our, you know, dancers and a, a great lover of history mm. and a lover of choreography and not only a wonderful dancer and artist himself, but a burgeoning choreographer, too.
tell me a little bit about your history choreographing yeah. and what you thought of this idea when we proposed it to you that you would collaborate and make your first piece for New York City Ballet. Mm, well, yeah. my, my beginning as a choreographer was really at my home ballet school in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we had a student choreography workshop every year. So I made my first piece when I was nine and it was to Vivaldi. And I, I knew from when I was a little boy, I wanted to be involved in all the different facets of dance. D dancing, teaching, choreography, scholarship, leadership, whatever manifestations would come. And so to have the chance to choreograph from such a young age, I just found a real joy in that and a delight in putting the steps together and finding how that could bring forth ideas about the music and then choreographing on other people and trying to make things that would highlight their strengths or and also be appropriate to whatever the situation was and through the years I've had a lot of wonderful opportunities but this is this is unlike any other and I was so honored when you and John asked me back in 2019 to do this because like you said I, I love the company I love the history of the New York City Ballet and of the Stravinsky Festival very specifically because two of my foundational teachers growing up in North Carolina, Jean-Pierre Bonfou and Patricia McBride, were key players in that festival. Mr. B reviving Orpheus for Mr. Bonfou, making violin concerto for Jean-Pierre, making the divertimento from Bézé de la Fée for Patty. And I remember watching the company work on violin concerto in Charlotte when I was a little boy. And I remember watching Patty teach her Bézé de la Fée solo in the very Variations classes and so to be part of the history of that festival and to then be able to offer something new that flows from the past with that rich history of the music that David's just been talking about was multi-dimensionally special and then now having been away for two years and coming back it's also a sweet homecoming to work with all my colleagues again. It's weirdly fate it seems because you you were given this commission COVID happened right after and everybody was kind of thinking of new parts of themselves. Mm. And we came back and you said, you know what? I think I need to do other things. I still, of course, want to do the commission. I do want to choreograph more. Mm. And you, had, you, were you wanted to move beyond just being a dancer, which we kind of understood because you were just that kind of guy. Mm. Uh, we were sad to see you go, obviously, but excited for your future. You got this amazing position in Los Angeles where... David lives, mm -hmm. where Stravinsky lived, where this music was conceived. Right. And I circle. wanted yeah. to find out how it was to kind of get to know each other from scratch. It was kind of like a dating game. We were like, you guys, <laughs> you guys, let's make, a, let's make a, hopefully this match will work out. You know, you didn't know each other beforehand. We, we took these two ideas and just blended them in like a like a petri dish, and we're like, hopefully it'll work, you know? Yeah. How, how's it been, getting to know each other? we certainly didn't know that you would be coming to Los Angeles. You know, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely been fate. I mean, we we nerded out from the very first Zoom <laughs> call. We were in lockdown. You know, this is like, Mar this is right after COVID yeah. locks everyone down, and it was such a, uh, a rock to have this project mm. through that very difficult time and to know there was something to look forward to, and we... We'd hop on Zoom, what, like twice a month and just work on architecture mostly. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were all those snippets that you had heard um, mm -hmm. that got you excited. And mm -hmm. so the first thing we had to do or Silas had to do was really pare it down to the to the four or five or six that he wanted to focus on. Yeah. 
And it was, I was living in Texas at that time, teaching at Southern Methodist University, and you were in L.A., and we were on Zoom. And from the very beginning, though, there was such a sense of artistic kinship because David is a composer who so understands Balanchine's vision of ballet very specifically because of your, you might want to talk about, but it's mm-hmm. your relationship with Truman Finney and mm-hmm. this, this depth of knowledge about this particular place that connected our hearts right from the start. Yeah, yeah. clearly you had that connection with Sephora Cars, who's very much yes. teaches yeah. in the Balanchine style. And, so oh, I, was, I knew you had a connection somehow, but let, tell us about it. Yeah, yeah. I was um, I was Arlene Croce's musical advisor um, for all the '90s while she was working on her albatross of a tome on all Mr. B's work. So we would come to City Ballet two, three times a week, and that's where I fell in love with your dancing. And you know, this is even before Suzanne retired. You know, going back some. I'm old. <laughs> And before that, I got to study with Truman Finney, who also was sort of a disciple of Mr. B's. And uh, this was when I was in college in Hartford. And he would sit me down and show me videotapes and, you know, really taught me the vocabulary and, and, and how all the pieces sort of grow out of what's taught in class, because that's mm-hmm. what Truman was famous for, of course, is teaching Mr. B's class. He was an incredible teacher. Yeah. Mm. Incredible. Yeah. Mm. So we sp- I spent four years with Truman, and he mm. sort of oversaw the first ballets that I made as a student uh, with some of the Hartford Ballet folks. And Balanchine's and, and Stravinsky's collaboration has always, you know, that's on the pedestal for me as the highest artistic collaboration perhaps ever. Mm. And the fact that the two of them sort of collaborated on this piece of music. I mean, where else? It would be like Petipa and Tchaikovsky writing a little ditty together. Like, how? Everybody has to hear this music, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. So it was in my blood. Mm-hmm. And and so you were very smart to pair me with Silas okay. because who else? You know? <laughs> Could nerd out on he, that he level. He probably knows yeah. Yeah. more about Stravinsky and Balanchine yeah. than I do. Yeah. We, we, we've had a lot of fun. We yeah. had a lot of fun. Yeah. And it was fun to pare down to which of the variations, sketches we would then, then you would develop further mm-hmm. and then ordering them and thinking mm-hmm. through maybe which one might be a solo or what might be a big group section or what might be a pas de deux and just already tinkering with that, like you were saying, architecture of the flow of the piece. Mm-hmm. And I think it was very important for both of us from the very beginning David with the orchestra in mind, me with the dancers in mind, to make something that showed the breadth and the depth of the, the talent and experience and craftsmanship of the musicians and the dancers. So the music that David's devised is almost like a concerto for orchestra. Yeah. There's so many moments that feature the individual musicians. I tried to give every single player, or if not player, group within the orchestra a moment to really shine this orchestra right now is as great as it's ever been, you know, going back to the Robert Irving recordings that I've heard and and the dancers as well, right? And you, you talked early on about wanting to be inclusive and maybe even bring in somebody from the school and just really make it like in the spirit of the Str- original Stravinsky Festival where everybody, everybody is getting involved. It's all hands on deck and let's just, you know, blow people's minds. It is very Balanchinian to kind yes. of highlight multiple chord answers in special moments just 
that yes. that girl's going to all of a sudden do a double pirouette and nobody else is going to move. And she's just in the core, you know, random little miracles. And you're following suit with that Very a little bit? Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. I, I hope that as people watch the piece, they'll say, oh, I remember that moment with such and such or that moment with such and such. Yes, there are some more featured passages where someone has a, a long variation or so. there's two people that have a long pas de deux, that sort of thing. But there are those flashes all throughout where you get to see individual dancers in moments of brilliance that just highlight their unique energy and style. Did you did you feel the different dancers you want? Because you know all the dancers pretty well because you dance with them all. Yeah. Um, did you feel them in the music that David was giving you? Did you say, oh, that's so-and-so? Or did you say... I want you to develop something in this way for this person? Or did the dancers come later? The dancers came later. Okay. Well, the there, third, there were a few that the we The beginning knew. of the third, you always had somebody in mind. Oh. We won't name them. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, we'll see <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah. And, and, we, and we went through different iterations of <laughs> casting because at the, at the New York City Ballet, casting has to be like a bit of Tetris because there's so many different ballets. And we have to, you know, everybody has to make sure that they have who they need for the different pieces. So we went through a couple different iterations of the casting, but I was telling someone the other day that casting at the New York City Ballet is really easy because it's like picking stars out of the heavens. It's like, well, you could have this batch of glorious people or that batch of glorious people or this squad of glorious people. So we ended up with 16, eight ladies, eight gentlemen, all of whom I picked for their, not just their incredible technique, musicality, all those things that are very emblematic of a city ballet dancer, but each of the 16 in the cast have such a special energy and spirit. I, I knew that they would all appreciate not just being in a new ballet, but this new ballet with this history. Mm-hmm. 16 people who I knew would want to go into the depths of where did this music come from? What does it signify? What is the history that we're connecting to through it? People that would love to go on that journey. Mm -hmm. And all of them have, and all of the understudies. And it's been a delight to be in the studio with this particular group. There's been such a great alchemy energy in the studio these past weeks. You you two gentlemen are such intellectuals, I have to say. (laughs) I'm going to just say it. But... Um, you know, you've got a lot of history. You've studied. You've studied mm. your crafts. Your mm. your the your mm. what you do. Um, what resources did you bring into this project together? Um, what ideas of the ballets or dancers that from the past or qualities did you historically try to bring back up? to build into this work. I mean, it's interesting because we were talking about before the architecture, right? So we, we had spent a year, the first year, just talking about architecture and pacing and tempi. And then there was a point where I was composing about a year ago, and I said, I really need to do something, and I'm not sure that you're going to like it, but mm-hmm. I'm going to add two little short variations that we didn't originally talk about. And if you don't like them, we can take them out. But this is what I'm feeling And a lot of that is from my understanding of how some of the great Balanchine pieces work, where you suddenly, in the middle of a piece, will have like three short moments that highlight either one, two, three dancers, and it felt like it had, it needed that. Like a palate cleanser, sort of? like Mm. a palate cleanser, right? So your bookends are sort of your bigger... Prepping for a new idea. Longer Mm -hmm. variations and prepping for a new idea, Mm -hmm. and... 
And Silas was so gracious to just let me do it and, and listen to it. And he's like, absolutely, yeah. So something about just understanding the natural arc of seeing mixed rep pieces year after year after year and like, oh, yeah, there's that 20, 25-minute, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. piece of, of, of time that you're dealing with and how do you break that time up. And so whether it's something that he worked on with Stravinsky or Fortis or, you know, Peter's work with Michael Torkey, like really understanding how you divide up that 25 minutes. There's a lot of mm -hmm. thinking about it, going back and watching the ballets. Mm -hmm. And I quote from the entire New York City ballet repertoire. Mm -hmm. So you will hear. I was wondering. If was you wondering. listen carefully, yeah. you yeah. will hear Barber's Violin Concerto. Okay. You will oh. hear Torkey's Blue. Oh, like you wow. will. There are Conical little moments sun. that mm -hmm. you know, somebody's like writing their you know, Beze. If you, if somebody's writing their PhD sometime mm -hmm. on this piece, they will be able to. Architecture, archaeological dig. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And the same would be said for the choreography. Yeah, this is you know, I, what I'm yeah, imagining you guys are cooking up. Well, because the, one of the other things we thought a lot about was a brilliant essay that Balanchine wrote in the mm -hmm. 40s for Dance Index called The Dance Element in Stravinsky's Music. Mm. And he just elaborates about what impact Stravinsky's music made on him and his development as a choreographer. And one of the big ideas from it is that as he was working on Apollo, he felt that Stravinsky was teaching him that musical ideas have certain family relationships and that within one piece you explore and indeed exhaust the possibilities of those particular ideas within that one world. And so I was laughing with the dancers in the studio pretty early on, and I, I don't I remember saying this, but my, the rehearsal pianist, Jonathan Katz, told me that I said this. He said that one of the first days of rehearsal, Silas, you said, everything in everything is something from something. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And, 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 and joyfully and unselfconsciously so, that, you know, the ballets are in relationship to each other. And so there is a, a female solo in the piece that, in my mind, is a kind of cousin of the prayer from Mozartiana mm -hmm. and of the prayer from Coppelia mm -hmm. and of the female solo from Hayef Divertimento. Mm -hmm. There's a section that begins with a male solo that's sort of a cousin of phlegmatic, using that same diagonal line a little bit, too. There are different moments where there are actual little flashes of choreography that are such and such, Firebird, or, um, or Hayef, or I'm trying to think, there's so many that have just little snatches of an arm or a, a hand or a, 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 a man looking up covering his eyes like Orpheus, just those are strumming the arms like yeah. Orpheus plucking his instrument. They're just those little snatches that sometimes were intentional and other times they're just in my DNA as a dancer yeah. and, and then as a dance maker and then similarly to how you felt about the Well, the it's music. funny too because he's been sending me little videos from the rehearsals and I've been screen capturing and say, <laughs> hey, this looks a lot like this moment in Apollo and he's like, oh my God, I didn't even realize it. I didn't it. think about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's then definitely other... in the DNA. Totally. But we want it to be more than an homage That's and right. sort of more than just a, a, a festival piece where we're tipping our hats to these mm -hmm. guys. Like mm -hmm. we're, we're hoping to make something, you know, that has legs. Yeah. That's right that celebrates this company right now mm -hmm. and that shows the vitality of the classical language of both music and dance mm -hmm. to speak right now mm -hmm. and to speak with a level of clarity 
and beauty and unity and energy and that that's not time bound at all nor is it only something from the past but it's something very alive in these dancers right now mm -hmm. and in these musicians right now and that uh, we hope the audience feels that nowness of those classical mm -hmm. ideas it's going to be fun to like come back over and over again to like yeah. notice the little those layers details and layers and put them together and the collage of it all from mm -hmm. both sides, musically and dance. Yeah. You're a musician too, right, Silas? I would come on. I I, I can sing. You can read music. I can sing. I can I can I, I'd say I can read the arc the basic architecture of music. So I can once I once I kind of get going and I find what time signature and I can follow the basic superstructure. I am nowhere the musician that Mr. Balanchine was. Like I can't sit down and play any instrument. But I feel like I have enough awareness to navigate the blueprint that is a score. And David helped me so much with that, too. We met up, now that we both live in L.A., mm -hmm. we met up one night and we had hors d'oeuvres and dinner and we poured over the score. And I couldn't help but thinking of all those wonderful videos of Balanchine and Stravinsky, you know, with their, with their little Zakuski and they're sitting over the score and like, talking about the timing and the intonation and all that. And so that was just fun. That was a lot of fun. But there are, going back to the hat tips, and, and I, the piece starts with a brass fanfare, which is the actual theme that Stravinsky and Balanchine wrote. And that gets back to how the theater was opened, right, with a Stravinsky brass piece. And they also started the, the Stravinsky Festival mm -hmm. in 72 with mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are moments throughout where we really try and plug in little bits of the institution's history, not mm -hmm. just the two men's history. Right. Yeah, and you're going to be surrounded by some really interesting work in, your, in the programming. Yes. I think that for the gala, it's the Circus Polka, which was Stravinsky working on Fantasia and Balanchine working on Fantasia, right? That's the Circus Polka and then Scherzo alla Russe, and these are students from the school, from the school. and then Silas brings the company <laughs> forward with his young choreographer and intelligence and mm. love and hit for everything balancing and and then the then the thank Stravinsky for, violin thank you for putting violin after my piece oh <laughs> no but it's, it's a hard act to follow it's a nice, it's such a wonderful that is the chestnut dark. from the 72 festival isn't yeah, it yeah yeah it was like the third piece. time he had made it right yeah. But they all touch on different aspects. Like one is kind of Hollywoody, but with going to be with little kids, and then one's the old Russia, and then yes. this new idea, and then the neoclassical, like abstracty, like leotard stuff. And, yeah, um, the breadth of Stravinsky. Yes, and, the, and that, that manifestation of that in this one company. Yeah. It's incredible. I was told <laughs> by Gonzalo Garcia, who's helping you as one of your rep directors. Yeah. That you're approaching this, at, you know, as a musician, mm. in a way, and and you're really working with the structure of the music as, as the, the musical sort of jungle gym that, and it's you know thing that's a sort of a balancing way of mm. choreographing. Mm. So tell me about that. I mean, now that I know that you're not officially a, a musician, <laughs> but. Your work He's with more David a musician than I am a dancer. Uh, <laughs> I had one I lesson with Twyla Tharp. You can maybe believe that. And that's it. <laughs> but yeah. your work with David has built, given you a nice scaffolding to yeah. like build and, and how, how, how is that working? 
it was a lot of time listening to mm-hmm. the emulation that he had done, an mm-hmm. orchestral emulation, mm-hmm. and time with the printed score, mm-hmm. and then finding a way to translate that into a chart of counts that then we could use as the dancers in the studio. Mm-hmm. But I built a whole chart that has, it's built around the, the structure of the music with all of the lettering that is what they would use to in the rehearsal of the orchestra to say, let's go from letter TT. I have those same notes in my notes, and then I have the time stamps of where they are in the emulation, and then I have next to that how we dancers will count that particular passage of music. But then in that way, it gave me such a sense of uh, trajectory as I was developing the piece and to know where the different themes would come back and then how to be really free inside of the the limits of that structure Mm -hmm. because I didn't have to keep reinventing vocabulary the whole way through the process. For example, in the first movement, there's some thematic material that comes back two or three times. And so once I'd actually made two phrases of movement for that first statement of it, then each time it came back, I would then just reconfigure it so that then as opposed to being a circle, it was diagonal lines intersecting with such and such. And then there's a level of familiarity that can be built with the audience because we spend years with the material. Mm -hmm. But the viewer, who maybe can come one night, it's all new for them Mm -hmm. in that 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. So even to build into that, just enough moments of recognition where the viewer can also say, oh, I remember when that moment, and oh, I'm, they can start already making connections. Yeah. And so that's fun. Mm-hmm. And it's also, like I said, it's, a, it's almost a comfort, a blueprint mm-hmm. to navigate from. And that's mm-hmm. a way of working mm-hmm. that is very Balanchinian mm-hmm. to use the music as the superstructure. And I've also done projects where it was more like a Cage Cunningham approach mm-hmm. where I developed choreography as the music was being written and then we got the music later, or where I had made the choreography and then the composer scored the choreography. And Mm. so there have been many different approaches that are all very rich and that uh, draw out different things as the dance maker, draw out different things from the dancers. But this has been something very much in the spirit of this house, Mm -hmm. that that's how balancing worked. And I imagine Jerry just really digging into the music. I was actually just working on some of Jerry's work with our students at Colburn, Mm -hmm. and we showed them this film, and Jerry was talking about when he would prepare to do a piece, he would just play the music constantly while he was shaving, while he was doing the dishes, whatever. And so for as soon as you got me the emulation, I would try to listen to it, if not once a day, at least multiple times a week, washing the dishes at night, driving around L.A., and so though I can't, I wasn't already building the counts for every section, the actual phrases of the music were enough in my blood that I could come in the room and maybe not even have so many steps prepared, but the, the music was the mm-hmm. real guide the whole way through the time in the studio. And then we spent a lot of time talking about how I used Mr. Balanchine and Stravinsky's yes. theme thematic material in each variation so I think that was a gift. that yeah that's part of the floor that you're that you're dancing on well and and it was such a wonderful thing that David did for me he literally went through each of the variations and he would send me a YouTube video of him sitting at his keyboard doing the archaeology of showing me exactly what he did with the Balanchine Stravinsky theme in each of the variations and so that was a lot of fun and I I haven't done an exact one-to-one translation of that 
where there's some super phrase of movement that represents the original chorale that all the variations are based on, but in a way similar to what David's done musically. There are thematic passages of the choreography. There are little shards of that all throughout the ballet that then hopefully will unify the ballet in the same way that that theme unifies the music. Mm-hmm. It's, like, so cool. it's, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's so much fun. There's so many questions it's, to no, ask. It's so much fun. Um, I've been seeing you around town at events, you know, with donors and different things, even in the studio, in the halls at the Mm. Rose Building, Mm. and you're carrying this little red book around. It's Mm. like your little Bible. And it's kind of, it's probably on you right now. It's in my backpack. Tell me about that book and what role it's playing for you and, and how you're even possibly paying homage to it in certain ways, design-wise. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So a year after the 72 Festival, mm-hmm. Nancy Goldner and Lincoln Kirstein and a group of writers worked together on a commemorative book about that festival. And it's very beautiful. It's miniature with this glinting red cover with little gold engraving. And there's a beautiful gold flower sketched into the cover. And that was from a sketch that Stravinsky had done on one of his musical manuscripts. And my wife, Cassia Farley, the costume designer, took that flower and has incorporated it into the headpiece for the ladies' costume design. And my wife, she oftentimes associates colors with particular people or with particular sound or music. And when she thinks about the music of Stravinsky, she always thinks of the color red. And that Russian heritage there's, visceral, and the, there's some visceral redness about yeah. his music mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. and so then I showed her the, the book mm-hmm. and it was this similar color mm-hmm. and then it had that wonderful gold mixed into the sort of grandeur and some kind of royal quality to that mm-hmm. and then we were looking again at that Balanchine essay the dance element in Stravinsky's music parts of which are quoted in this commemorative book and Balanchine talks about how oftentimes his music and Stravinsky, his, his choreography rather, and Stravinsky's music would oftentimes be misunderstood or sometimes even maligned as being too abstract. And Balanchine says something along the lines of, how can a piece of music or a piece of dance in itself be abstract? Because you have a sound that's humanly organized by living musicians right there or dancers, quote, of flesh and blood in a living relation to each other. What you see in here is completely real. So we were talking about the red, that red wineish color and the gold, and Cassia wanted to incorporate the dancers' flesh tones into the costume also. And then we found that quote, dancers of flesh and blood in a living relation to each other. So then that became another design point of departure. But that book has been such a great guide because in it, it has the copy of the playbill from each of the nights of the festival. So then to just see the logic of the programming and to see who was in the original cast of every piece, you know, people who were in a huge throng of Firebird monsters who then became great principal dancers and all these wonderful essays throughout describing the particular pieces that were performed and Stravinsky's musings on Balanchine, Balanchine's musings on Stravinsky, Lincoln Kirstein's reflections on the two men, Balanchine and Stravinsky, but then also his background about how did they actually pull this festival off just in terms of budget and production and logistics? 
And then there are wonderful photos of both the rehearsal process and the performances. So I just felt it was such a great guide throughout this whole process to see how that particular festival was put together Mm -hmm. and then how we might be able to honor that by making something new. Yeah, and the book also has the very first moment that I can remember where our title comes from, Architect of Time. I was going to ask you, tell me about this. Tell me about your title. Yeah, so I originally discovered it in the book. I have actually a, a ver- I have a copy of the book that was given to Leonard Bernstein, who I used to work for, by Lincoln, inscribed by Lincoln, wow. that um, Lenny's daughter gave me to hold and to cherish. And so it's a very special book to me, too. And yeah, so uh, what's her name, Nancy? The oh, Nancy maj- Goldner. Goldner, who writes the majority of, of what happened that week. Um, is quoting Mr. B as, you know, at the podium or wherever he was when he was at the press conference talking about this thing that they were going to do called the Stravinsky Festival. And there it is, Architect of Time. And then the documentary came out uh, last year. Balanchine's Classroom. Yes. And there we actually see Mr. B saying it. You know, composer is, well, you do the best Balanchine impersonation. Mr. B says, composer is architect of time <laughs> and we have to dance to it yes. and yeah. I thought that's yeah so we both saw everything. the documentary a couple times when it came out we thought that was a... were you watching it together did you guys go no we watched it no. separately. separately I saw oh. it with Zipporah Cars oh you did yeah. we took a bunch of our Colburn oh, students great. and we saw it and architect such a great film and that's such a great moment where he's I mean that was an interview that we never saw before mm-hmm. I hadn't at least mm-hmm. um, but, but the quote is in the book and you know, it, it seems to to really sort of capture everything that they were to each other, mm-hmm. and this this music that they wrote for each other. Yeah. And you know, we talk about architecture so much mm-hmm. as being so vital, you mm-hmm. know, to to our work. Tell me, what was this poem? That there are words to this poem, this original poem that yeah. Balanchine wrote to Stravinsky. And I I. I'll, I'll, I'll read you the translation. Uh, I love it. The English translation. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 neither of us... Well, you, you maybe could do it in Russian. Mm-hmm. No. I'm teasing. Okay. I, w- I, I would not do it justice. Um, so it's four lines, as I said, right? A quatrain. And each line starts with a, a different letter of mm-hmm. Igor's name. So I-G-O-R, but in Russian. I think the only letter of the alphabet that we have in common is the O. And here it is. <laughs> Name day and birthday, guests, noise, and animation. Get drunk on Grand Marnier. Don't forget a glass for me. Oh, sweet. <laughs> so that's what Mr. B wrote. Yeah. Which feels very and appropriate it, uh, with the, how they opened the festival with yeah. Lincoln and Mr. B and then, taking a shot for Stravinsky. And then the last night of the festival, there was vodka for everybody, apparently. Not Grand Marnier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then shortly after I discovered the manuscript at Harvard, Robert Kraft did a recording of it on one of his, you know, he was conducting all the Stravinsky works in the late 80s and early 90s. So we got to hear it with the um, Greg Smith singers, 22 seconds long. Wow. Yeah, so it exists. Well, and you've described it too, that that when you hear the Balanchine melody by itself on the piano, it's just charming. Mm -hmm. Then when you hear Stravinsky's harmonization of it, it then becomes almost like a Russian Orthodox chant yeah. that with a, with a real grandeur and 
gravity to it. Mm-hmm. Especially with the Greg Smith singers yeah. in this big church where they recorded it. Yeah. But then, you know, we take it All and we have places. so much fun with it. And, well, that was another great thing about their collaboration, right? There's so much humor, right, between the two of them. They're playing. Yeah, they're, they're playing. always it's joking back and around. Forth. There's convers it's conversation and that's so yeah. much about how dancers work with music. They listen to the music. The music yeah. tells them what to do. The dancer responds. Yeah. And any kind of collaboration is like let's let's put our ideas together and, and see what we come up with. There's and a wonderful phrase in the little red book yeah. where Lincoln is writing about Stravinsky and he says that one of the unifying themes of Stravinsky's music is his quote acrobatic wit and I think that Mm. that you hear that all throughout Stravinsky's music and there are definite moments of that in your score of of just playfulness there's a wonderful variation a fourth variation that's just so much fun Mm. and we were joking that it's kind of like a, a funky renaissance breakdown dance yeah. It is so lively and so sparkling and groovy. And, and you get so much of that in this in different Stravinsky pieces, too. And you give us moments of great pathos and grandeur mm-hmm. and splendor. Mm-hmm. And I think that in that way, you've so honored the range of what Stravinsky wrote. Because this is the man who gave us the humor of something like the jeu de cartes, the mm-hmm. danse concertante, but then who also gave us the... The final scene of of Firebird, the Symphony of Psalms, Mm -hmm. the the Orpheus closing, those moments that are just celestial. Mm -hmm. And uh, to account for the range of that choreographically is a great challenge, but also just a great privilege that David has written such a rich, rich score. And it's been just a delight to work with him. I can't wait to see this. May 5th. May 5th. It's premiere. Gala. Gala. Spring and then it, pl- gala. then it repeats a few, four or five more times. A couple more times. But a couple more times. You can program it a couple more times. Get your tickets now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, be, well, I can't wait. To, I'm coming tonight to watch your rehearsal. So I'm good. super excited. Thank you guys for spending a little of your very valuable time with me. What a delight. And um, very exciting to be in this creative little collab that you know, this we little call, petri dish. We call you our <laughs> we call you our Diagolo <laughs> for putting us together. Well, Jonathan and I, we in Zipporah, we got to put that Zipporah oh, yeah. as That's part right. of it. Yeah, That's and right. timing, timing is everything. Timing. Architects of time. <laughs> yeah, we hit the right time. Full circle to make Indeed. this work. Thank, Thank you, you guys. So Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. See you in a little bit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to City Ballet. To stay up to date on episode releases. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We hope to see you soon in the theater, so head over to nycballet.com to have a look at what's on stage.